It's Emily here, and I'm excited to introduce you to Raise Them Well. It's a company that Wiggy and I formed together to bring the best products for you and your children. Today, I want to tell you about our children's immunity chewables that include vitamin C, vitamin D3, vitamin K2, and zinc, all in one chewable. It's not a gummy. It includes no fillers, no artificial sweeteners, and no sugar, and is everything your kids need to stay well this winter in one chewable. Hey, everybody. It's Emily and Dr. Wiggy here with Healthy Discourse. And we are going to dig into a very controversial topic today and talking about the COVID vaccines that are now available um, and that the FDA has given, is it called emergency approval or, mm-hmm. or preliminary emergency approval yeah. for? And we are just going to dive deeper into this topic because like many things in our culture right now, there is definitely much more information coming from one side of the issue and not very much available readily that challenges the vaccine and what is in it and the research that has been done. And we're being told to, quote, trust the science when the science on this is really not fully, I mean, I mean, I would say, would you say it's not really? Well, I'd say that it's not necessarily one-sided. Yes, it's not one-sided. There is there is information on both sides uh, of this equation, and I think that's where we need to to look, is we need to look at the full picture. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's important for us to, to talk about this, and this may help me just because I get this question uh, all the time. And so just pre- kind of laying out this information for everybody, I think is just going to be, uh, it's going to be helpful. Uh, because that is the question that I'm getting, I'd say, you know, multiple times a day from my from my patients, is that they're they're really confused. So they're getting information again about uh, the vaccine. Uh, they're hearing, you know, possible rumors about it, or they're hearing, you know, these other studies, and they're just trying to to figure out what's best uh, for them and and for their family. And so, and it does take a little time to to break that down for each person. You know, it's not necessarily a yes or no answer. And I think that's where, again, I think uh, it's it's not that simple. And, and yes, we try to simplify things if we can, but in this case, this, this does require some uh, processing and uh, weighing the risks and the benefits, because if you don't, I think you're going to be giving uh, somebody uh, bad advice. If you're just saying, yes, you have to do it or no, you shouldn't do it, mm-hmm. then I think again, you're, you're missing, missing the full picture. Sure. Okay. Well, let's dig in and let's pretend that we are in your office and we're patients and we've asked you... Um, I'm a patient to say, should I get the COVID vaccine, which I know you hear this multiple times every day and probably spend more time than you would like discussing it. Um, I know that you kind of go through a list of questions or things to consider with your patients. So can you just kind of share that with our audience? What are the questions or considerations that you suggest for your patients when they're trying to make this difficult decision for themselves or a family member? Sure. Uh, and I'll try to remember all of them. This is a little different setting than in the than in the office. Uh, but some of the factors that I consider and that I kind of weigh uh, with each patient uh, to help make a, a decision. First is age. Mm-hmm. So I do think age is one of the, and that's the easiest to measure. So we do know for uh, older people uh, that they have a higher risk uh, from a bad outcome from the virus. And I would consider 
uh, 65 and older kind of be in that category. 65 and older, uh, 70 and older for sure. Uh, those are the higher risk uh, patients from having bad outcomes from the virus. Then uh, younger people would be, I would say, really 50 and younger, 50 and younger would probably be in that different category. Mm -hmm. And then 50 to 65, 50 to 70 is kind of where there's a bit of a gray area. Uh, so it's, there's a, there's definitely a difference between the younger and the older as far as how they respond to the virus. Mm -hmm. Older again, higher risk. So that's, that's a big one. And, and it, it's fairly easy to make that decision when they're on the extremes. Mm -hmm. So if someone is, you know, 85, then I'd say, yes, the vaccine's probably a better option for you. Right. If someone is 30, then I think that the vaccine is not necessary. So that's that's kind of the way that I break it down. Uh, so age is really important. Uh, and then uh, I look at uh, comorbidities. That's I think is also very important. So that also kind of weighs into the de decision. So for those that might not know exactly what that means, what is a comorbidity? Comorbidities are just other medical issues that patients have. Right. So the biggest comorbidities for, uh, for again, bad outcomes is our three major chronic issues, uh, obesity, uh, diabetes and high blood pressure. Those are the those are the biggest comorbidities. There are other ones as well. Immune system dysfunction. So we have patients with uh, chronic infections like Lyme disease and Epstein Barr virus, as well as those with autoimmune disease. I do think those are, are additional risk factors, but I haven't seen them really be a major determining factor with how patients respond uh, if they get the virus. They actually seem to be okay uh, with autoimmune disease and. Uh, chronic infections. So what would you say about autoimmune and chronic infections with the vaccine then? Would you look at that kind of on the opposite spectrum? So that's that's really where, again, it is an individual approach. Uh, for autoimmune disease, it, it doesn't appear to be a huge risk factor for the virus. I would say that there are some unknowns with how that may affect autoimmune disease with the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And that's just that's just kind of where, where we kind of land with that is that the unknowns are the unknowns. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to know what sort of risk factors that there is for autoimmune disease for years, right. probably. And so I wouldn't say that I necessarily again say that as a contraindication you know, mm -hmm. for it. Say, okay, well, since you have Hashimoto's or uh, whatever else, that you can't do the vaccine. Mm -hmm. I just think that it's something, again, that should be, should be considered. Mm -hmm. So other comorbidities, kind of reviewing that, again, obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, those are the ones that I really think weigh the, weigh the most. And they just basically tell us how healthy someone is. Mm -hmm. So if someone is obese, diabetic, high blood pressure, much higher risk for having a bad outcome from the virus, more likely to recommend the vaccine. Mm -hmm. uh, if they are, do not have those comorbidities, those primary ones, then I'd say less likely to get a benefit from the vaccine and probably be fine if they, if they do contract the virus and they'd be able to beat it. Mm -hmm. So age, comorbidities, and then looking at some history. So how kind of just medical history as well as kind of vaccine history. Uh, when you get a vaccine, do you have a bad reaction? Mm -hmm. You know, that's a good indicator for how sensitive you are to immune system stimulation. So if you get a flu shot and you're sick for three or four days, that means you react pretty strongly to, to a vaccine. And this vaccine, I, would, I will tell you that we are seeing a stronger immune response from the coronavirus vaccine than we are from other vaccines like flu vaccines. And it is, uh, I think, because of the two dose. So the first dose doesn't appear to be much of a problem. It's really the second dose that appears to be uh, more problematic for, for people. Uh, so it does cause a strong immune reaction. We, we are seeing that, and people are having some side effects and some symptoms after that, uh, especially after that second shot. So how do you respond to uh, vaccines in the past? And then the other 
the other thing to consider is how do you respond or how well do you heal or get better when you get sick. Mm -hmm. So if you get a cold or a flu, are you sick for weeks and it takes you a really long time to recover? Or do you get it and you're tired for a couple days and then you're fine? Mm -hmm. You know, that shows that you generally can handle acute infections for those that have a really hard time getting over a cold or a flu. Again, you'd have a higher chance of having a bad outcome from the coronavirus. So, uh, you know, age, comorbidities, medical and vaccine history. Uh, and then the other thing I, I think is also important is patient preference. Mm -hmm. And this was uh, this is where for a lot of people they'll fall in the in the gray area. Mm -hmm. You know they'll be you know 55 years old. Maybe they have high blood pressure, and uh, they don't seem to have any problems with the vaccine. That was kind of in the in that gray area. So then they're pretty low risk still from getting the virus, mm -hmm. but they are probably also pretty low risk from having a side effect from the vaccine. So at that point it's more about patient preference saying this, and this is what it comes down to, is that I believe that most people will, will have to either get the virus and beat it, or they'll have to get the, vi get the vaccine. Mm -hmm. it's, gonna, it's gonna be one or the other. I don't think really anyone's gonna come out of this without any sort of exposure. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, that's just the way that it is. So the question really comes down to at that point is, what are you more concerned about? Right. What are you more afraid of? Are you more afraid of the virus and how well you'd be able to handle it and how sick you'll get? Or are you more afraid of the vaccine and the unknown risks right. and the unknown side effects that we may see down the road? And so for a lot of people, that's actually the biggest determining factor is like, well, I'm, I'm scared to death of the virus. I said, well, then go get the vaccine. Right. Or they say, look, I just do not trust this vaccine. It makes me really nervous. And right. I say, probably not a good idea to do something that makes you really nervous. Right. So I do think, you know, individual preference is also very important. Awesome. So, and, and yeah, the, I mean, I think what we know is just like almost any medical decisions we have to make, there's no perfect answers. And to be told that we're wrong for considering mm -hmm. one or the other is almost, you know, that's just not real life. And that's not real science either. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's nothing that we can do that is zero risk. Even taking a supplement, that's not zero risk. You know, walking out your door into your car, that's not zero risk. Mm -hmm. And so we have got to be better as a culture of adopting that and understanding and valuing each other's opinions and sensitivities and you know learning how to have conversations like this versus you're wrong and you need to be doing this or not be doing this so and i think that's why i think again this is not necessarily a uh across the board for integrative medicine versus traditional medicine but i do think integrative medicine doctors tend to be more partners mm -hmm. uh, in making medical decisions than sometimes traditional medicine can be i, I definitely know from the from a uh, vaccine standpoint that it's definitely one way or our way or the highway for a lot of times for traditional medicine. And I think that's, again, that's, that's a disservice to the patients versus again, going through all these different variables. Right. And then helping them make an informed decision. Right. That's what I, that's where I think is, is important is to work with the patient and help them to kind of figure it out uh, and work together right. to come up with a, with a plan. Well, and I mean, specifically in the pediatric community, I know, that is a huge thing where people are always looking for, I mean, in our, in our circles, people are always asking, where can I find a doctor that will work on a different schedule or will accept my, my, um, 
desire to not vaccinate or any, you know, kind of anything that's not the main, the Mm -hmm. regular schedule. And the truth is, it's becoming harder and harder to be able to find someone that is willing to do that. So, well, I think what's, and I think what's missing with that is that again, doctors aren't even willing to explain their reasoning and to tell them why they believe so strongly in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think it's if, if they can have a conversation and kind of hear your concerns and then kind of present their mm-hmm. opinion on it, then I think that that's actually, that's at least a reasonable Well, approach. that's a conversation. Right, it's conversation yeah. versus saying, if you don't do this, you're out. And that happens and that quite happens, frequently. I would say more often than not. Yeah, it, it really does, especially with children. I don't know that that happens as much with adults when it comes to vaccines in particular. But it does happen in the workplace. We know that that's a thing, and that's probably something that's going to be coming uh, that we need to consider, too. So um, let's talk about the research, because, again, we're being told that, that, you know, the science is settled, this vaccine is so safe, everything is great, this is like the greatest new technology, it's different, and, and that's a better thing. And tell us, like, what what do we actually know? Mm-hmm. Well, we don't, we don't know a whole lot, actually. I mean, what we know is based on the studies by the vaccine manufacturers. Mm-hmm. That's what we know. So we have data from uh, Pfizer and we have da- uh, data from Moderna. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's those are the studies that we have to go off of as far as how effective the vaccine is and how safe it is. Mm-hmm. That's really all that we have to go off of now. So we have no uh, third-party uh, studies. We have no... Um, again, you'd have to say unbiased studies. We have these studies done by the manufacturers, which, you know, I'm not saying that they're lying or manipulating the data, but I'm saying you have to consider that. Mm-hmm. This is only from those companies that were making that, those decisions. Based on Real those... Real quick, just let me jump in to say, it's a good idea always, no matter what study you're looking at, to look at who funded it. Mm-hmm. No matter what, it could be anything. Right. If it's something, you know, that's just a really important thing to always consider when you're looking at research because you can find research to support just about anything right so sorry just wanted to jump in go ahead sure and unfortunately the science now there's there is a lot of biased data and and things that are being manipulated in order to reach a certain outcome but in the case of this again these these vaccines so we have the pfizer study and then we have the moderna study and we do know based on those studies that it does appear to be an effective uh, vaccine we are seeing again good protection from getting the virus if you get the two doses of the vaccine again we'll see long term if that actually appears to be as uh, effective uh, as as it's presented in the in the data or not but it does appear to have a good protective benefit so that that is one thing that we are seeing uh, from the studies now with again reading those same studies from those companies is that it's also obvious that their people are having side effects from the from the vaccine as well so for anyone to say that it is 100% side effect free and that there's no possible problems from it that's also not true again this is this is from their own studies that there are a significant percentage of people that are having some side effects from the vaccines they're not necessarily all major side effects but there are there are some things Uh, as I was saying earlier is that we are seeing that this is promoting a strong immune response that is one thing that we're seeing and that's that appears to be the type of response that we're getting from this type of vaccine, from the mRNA vaccine, we're getting a stronger immune response from it. And I think because of that, we're also seeing more side effects uh, from it too. So based on those studies, I think the Pfizer study had a little bit more side effects than the Moderna vaccine, I believe. 
And we're not seeing a lot of side effects based on that study from the first dose, but it appears to be really from the second dose. From the second dose, it, I think it's anywhere from 5 to 10% of people have strong enough reaction from it where they can't work, uh, for at least for that day. So that is, again, that's, that's feeling pretty bad to say, well, I can't come into work because I'm feeling this, I'm feeling this lousy. And that could be from you know, flu-like symptoms, muscle aches, headaches, fatigue. It could be any number of symptoms. But yeah, there's a, there's a pretty good percentage from those studies that say, look, I'm feeling pretty, pretty sick after this, after this vaccine. It appears to be kind of short-lived. So it doesn't appear to be really, again, it doesn't seem to last for a long time after that. But it does tell us that something's happening inside the body. That's one thing. That it's, it, it is something is happening. And that's where I think we have to, to think about okay, something happened acutely, but can this result in chronic or long-term complications down the road? Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, I know like most, most of the reactions we're seeing are minor, but mm-hmm. and there, but there are, we have seen that people are, there have been deaths, there have mm-hmm. been significant, um, skin conditions I've seen and, um, the whole Bell's palsy thing that can yeah. last for any number of time. And I mean, and we don't necessarily always know that it's a causation, but right. there is some, there could be some relation to the timing of the vaccines. And it seems like a lot of people is about two weeks later are having, that are having these major adverse re- events. So the, there are things that are happening. I don't know that those are talked about really at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but just something that we need to consider that we can't always just take what's said again at face value um, and just the whole, well, this is safe, so everybody needs to do it mm-hmm. and so forth. So, right. um, well, okay, so what are, your, what are your biggest concerns? You know, we just talked about the, we don't know in the long run, and I think that probably is the biggest concern. But with this type of vaccine and the mRNA, what are some possible long-term effects that we're seeing researchers say, well, this could happen or this could happen, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a good question. So you're right, is that we don't know what we don't know. And and the unknowns are always are always a bit of a concern. There are some theoretical things that could happen down the road, which I think are again at least worth considering and discussing uh, when you're thinking about the about the vaccine. So we do know that this is a in a strong immune response vaccine, so we do know that it, that it that it does affect and it does influence the immune system. We also do know, based on some of the ingredients that are used in the vaccine, that they are potential mediators for um, autoimmune disease mm. potential. Right. So, so is it possible that at some point down the road we we, we will we'll be dealing with an increase in autoimmune disease from all the vaccines? It's possible. Mm-hmm. You know, again, there hasn't been we don't have the data to support that at this time, but we do know based on other studies that this type of vaccine and the type of ingredients used in the vaccine potentially can have some autoimmune uh, reaction. I think that's something again to consider, and that's why you know when looking at, at patients that already have autoimmune disease, right? It's, it should be it should be a considered should be a variable. And then the other thing is that this is, I would say, also again, not proven, but it's a concern, is is there some molecular mimicry from the vaccine with normal tissues? And that's related to autoimmune disease too, but also can cause other problems. 
Will you tell us what molecular mimicry is for those that might not know? Yeah, of course. So molecular mimicry is basically when there is a component of the vaccine or a component that is produced from the vaccine that looks like a tissue in our normal bodies. Okay. So in this case, the mRNA vaccine produces the spike protein on the coronavirus. That's what seems to be, that's what's, that's what's being produced in this vaccine. There is some concern that the spike protein has a similar structure to the uh, to certain proteins in a placenta. That, that is one of the concerns. So there are some some people that are saying that this is going to affect fertility. This is going to affect your ability to carry. Again, we don't have anything to necessarily back that up. So I think we have to be careful with when we're saying, "Oh, this is definitely going to do that." Mm -hmm. But again, you should see this as things to consider. Right. And and, and that's why I think. At this point, I think they're actually recommending not uh, for pregnant women to get the vaccine at this point, I believe. I believe that it depends on the, like, I think that the CDC and, like, the WHO and there's different stances on that. So, let's just go there, though. Um, what would you say to a pregnant woman? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. We don't have that many pregnant patients in the office, so it's a, right. a tough one. I would say, I mean, most people that are pregnant are young right they most times they don't have a lot of other comorbidities right i would say that probably right now until we don't until we know more information they're low risk mm -hmm. i think they're probably okay without without the vaccine right but that still should be an individual decision between Absolutely. them and their doctor but. right right okay um, any other concerns or those, that's the main one? The those are the biggest ones. Yeah. So the biggest ones are autoimmune disease and molecular mimicry. So if... Well, actually, I'll take that back. Okay. So there is one more and this is related to, still related to the immune system, but a little bit different response. So there's also some concern with the double dosing on the vaccine mm -hmm. is that that can also contribute to what's called immune system priming. Immune system priming is basically where the immune system is overstimulated when it is exposed to a similar protein down the road. So there have been some animal studies that su 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 to suggest that if they get the mRNA vaccine, and then if they do get a different type of coronavirus, they actually have a heightened immune response. Mm -hmm. They get a cytokine storm and they actually have, uh, they actually get really sick and some animals have died uh, from that. So again, animal studies on that, but immune system priming is another concern. Let's say, because coronaviruses are gonna be around. Right. And they're going to be variants. They're going to be mutations. There's going to be the common cold coronavirus. There's probably going to be COVID-20 down right. the road. There probably will Please be. Please, Lord, no. <laughs> well, no, there will be. There's coronaviruses not going anywhere. I know. They, I know these, are, these are, you know, they've been around forever. Right. So they're not going anywhere. So is it possible, again, this is theoretical, but is it possible that the, you're immune to COVID-19, but the next coronavirus that comes around you actually have worse outcomes from. Right. It's possible. So again, we don't we won't know that until the next one comes around. Right. But hey, I would be terrible if that's you know if that's the case. So just something else. That's another concern that I've heard, that I've read about. Right. Theoretical concern, but still should be should be thought about. Yeah. I, I've seen a, a couple of videos from some of those researchers and they they have those concerns mm -hmm. for sure that, that actually conducted those animal studies. Um, okay, so let's talk about if I, you know, I, I want to go and get, talk to my physician about this, and um, 
you know, what if I get the response that I think most people get is that I think everybody needs to get it as soon as they're able to. Mm -hmm. And that's the answer. What do I, how do I either stimulate that conversation or what do I, what do I do or what do I bring with me? Like, what do I, how do I proceed? Well, the first thing I would say is that it's always your decision. So even if you are getting hounded to do it, even if they're, you know, saying this is, this is what you have to do. There's no, there's no question or debate around it. It's still your decision. It's, it's your body. You know, at least right now it's not mandated, so you, you can still make, make that call. So I would say still feel like you have that authority over your over your body at this time, that you can still weigh the risks and benefits yourself and you can still come up with your own with your own decision. Unfortunately, many doctors are very stubborn in their in their response to this. Mm-hmm. And so having an actual conversation is gonna depend on what type of doctor you're dealing with. If your doctor typically is open to conversation, then I think presenting some information, just being, hey, I just have, have these concerns. Can we go through these? Mm-hmm. Then they'll probably be willing to go through this through those questions for you and, and do their best to answer those. Other doctors will basically shut you down and say, yes, you have to do this, and there's no debate. There's, right. no, there's no question. And at that point, then you're really wasting your time if you're trying to argue with them or debate with them. You're just going to cause more strife and tension, and that's, it's not it's not worth it. Right. Now, I will say that if, if your doctor is not willing to have conversations with you, and to discuss the pros and the cons, the risks and the benefits, you may want to consider finding another provider. Mm-hmm. I think that medicine is changing so quickly that it's not becoming a dictatorship anymore. It's really more about coaching and partnership mm-hmm. and weighing all different angles and again trying to work on this together and being a team. Right. And so I would say if you, if you aren't able to have conversations with your doctor that is I would say that's a concern with the type of doctor that you're you're being treated by mm-hmm. yeah um, so you know really in this we, we, we want to encourage conversations that's really the whole purpose of our podcast but also um, you know so how do we find additional information so like we talked about at the beginning, it's difficult to go on a big search engine and find anything besides what I'll call the mainstream narrative about the vaccine. Um, I know we have a couple of resources. So um, there, one of the women from America's Frontline Doctors, who you might remember, they stood in Washington, D.C., begging for hydroxychloroquine to be... Um, prescribed more and to be researched better and everything for COVID. Everybody completely shut them down, said they were crazy. They got fired. Like all kinds of things happened negative for them who took a stand for what they truly believed in. And now here we are months later and all of that's been reversed and hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, am I saying that right? Yeah, ivermectin yeah. is now, th- these are praised for how well they actually treat the virus when they're given in the mm-hmm. early stages, which is when they're supposed to be given and all of that. Um, but anyway, the one of the doctors did a really great video on this vaccine, and I'm going to share the link to that in the notes. And then also another resource, if you're curious about the adverse reaction, so something we didn't talk about that we should mention is these vaccine manufacturers are completely protected from any adverse outcomes. There is a separate court that handles vaccine 
um, negative events that is funded by the federal government, I believe. I'm not sure. I don't want to talk about their funding because I'm not certain on that. But it's very secretive. So when you go into that court, you're generally, you are not allowed to talk about it. You're not allowed to talk about your settlement. This is not something that is going to be heavily publicized because it's set up that the vaccine manufacturers don't have any responsibility for negative outcomes and that that's taken to a completely different place. Um, And so it's not going to be prevalent to be able to see what might be happening adversely, just like with any vaccine. And so um, there is a website or there's a, it's called VAERS, V-A-E-R-S. I don't know what it stands for, vaccine adverse something reactions, I'm guessing. Um, And you can get on there and you can see the types of things that people are experiencing after getting the COVID vaccines. Now, again, we, that doesn't mean that if they went to the emergency room within two weeks, that could have been that they were in a car accident. So that doesn't mean that it's a cause and effect once again. But they are tracking to see when adverse medical conditions, reactions, events are happening within the two weeks or so, or is it three months? I'm not sure. Sometime after getting the vaccine. So if you're a bit curious about what potentially is happening That might be a good resource to see too. And as more people are vaccinated, there's definitely more things being added to that website. So that's VAERS, V-A-E-R-S. Yeah, and I'm not sure if we're accurately portraying that or not. Uh, I believe that that system does have to be reported by physicians when they think that it is an actual adverse response Mm -hmm. to the vaccine. So if they go to the emergency room for a car accident, I don't think that's reported. Gotcha. So I think, like I said, so yeah, there's some, some... uh, details that we we may not be completely accurate on. Um, the same thing with the uh, the court system. Uh, it is so they they can be held responsible if they can prove that uh, a vaccine caused a specific outcome. And there have been millions of dollars that have been paid out uh, from the manufacturers to people that can prove that there has they've had a bad outcome from it. So it's not like you can't. Uh, hold them accountable the only the problem is it takes a ton of time and energy and money in order to fight them and so most of the time it's most people don't actually pursue that to the full extent because it is a special system and a special court that they have to go through and so it just makes it makes more hoops to jump through and it makes it more challenging to actually hold them accountable right and a lot of times those things are about who has the most money to be able to fight and right. oftentimes that's going to be the big company versus the individual. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big companies, you, you generally can drag things out enough for people to kind of give up. Right. Well, I'm sorry for neg- for no, portraying okay. inaccurately. To, Thank you for correcting me. I just me. want to make sure you yeah, guys kind of fully understand that. And, and I just want to make one other point about the uh, that Emily mentioned about the hydroxychloroquine, because that is actually a really big frustration mm-hmm. of mine, is that we've been talking about that at the practice, is that we, all doctors should be doing early treatment for this with things that are available and are cheap and are safe, like hydroxychloroquine. There are there are tons of studies on the benefit of hydroxychloroquine for early treatment, and there are thousands of studies mm-hmm. on how safe it is. Right. We know that it's a very safe medication. Yes, there are possible side effects for long-term use, but still very low on the uh, on the scale. <coughs> Excuse me. So for, for me, it was very frustrating that they were, they were attacked 
mm-hmm. that they uh, doctors lost their license, doctors were fired for talking about hydroxychloroquine, and it's because the science that was being presented was again very one-sided and it was and it, it was misleading. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were not looking at the bulk of the studies. They were looking at one flawed study to say that this is a dangerous thing to to prescribe. And unfortunately, like I said, what we're seeing now after the fact is that now they're saying early treatment is recommended and that this is helpful. And so it, that's just another another thing to consider when you say trust the science is that you have to be careful what science you're trusting. Because mm-hmm. in that case, if you trusted the science on the hydroxychloroquine, you know, they would be... They'd say, don't treat, and there's nothing you can do. And I, I believe that that actually caused a lot of people to die that didn't need to die. I agree. And so that's actually a really big frustration of mine because, you know, we felt like we were on the right side of this because mm-hmm. we did our we did a lot of research on the treatment for it, and we, we used it, mm-hmm. and it worked very well. Well, let's we talk had, about that. So how many patients have you had admitted to the hospital with COVID? So we've had no hospitalizations and, and no deaths uh, from coronavirus. And that's generally following, for most people, a, a um, supplement regimen. And yeah, for those that were that were treated. Right. And that's what we're saying. Early treatment does make a big difference. And that was out of hundreds of patients. Right. And we've treated we treated lots of patients for it and everyone has had, had a good outcomes. And so that's again, it just points to it it shows you that science is not necessarily always conclusive mm-hmm. based on what you're what what you're hearing. Right. Is that it can be fluid and that's where we have to be careful. So, you know, like with hydroxychloroquine, it's a good example. They were one side was pushing very hard against it and trying to punish people that were using it, but now they're saying it's good for you. That may that should make you think. That's mm-hmm. that's a weird change of events in a short period of time with no new data that's been presented. Right. So the same thing could happen, and this is just where we should be thinking. Same thing could happen with the vaccine. You know, this is 100% safe. Everyone needs to do it. Mm-hmm. This is, if you don't do it, you're stupid. Right. And then five years from now, they're going to be like, wow, we, that, was a, that was a bad decision. Look at all these bad things that are happening. Possible. Right. And I'm just, that, but that is a good example for where things change. Right. And, and opinions and, change. And the sad thing is, it's true though, medicine is not immune from the focus being dollars. And so, you know, in my opinion, this is my opinion, um, these medications were shut down because again they're cheap they're available Mm -hmm. because you know the focus was the vaccine and the vaccine makes a lot more money for a lot more people than these treatments that are readily available Mm -hmm. and you know i I think you're right i think that we will we cannot say the science is settled on the vaccine well we don't have enough information to say it's settled yet right and so I would just be careful when these doctors that are taking, I mean, it is a hard stand to stand up there and to say something you know you're going to get demonized for, but they did it. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, they were attacked on all sides, called all kinds of names. And I mean, we're not fully immune to that in our home, in our world, but that was a big stand, you know, in DC. And I fully, I admire them greatly. And I'm hoping that they're seeing, you know, that some of that is, turning around now that you know they're they were right and um at least as far as we know at this point and so it can be really difficult because we you know censorship is a real thing now if you have an alternative view on just about anything it's very possible to get 
shut down, especially when we're talking about medicine and the coronavirus and or anything that has to do with vaccines. That is one of the first things to be taken down. So make sure that you are seeking out alternative sources versus just what is on the main, you know, YouTubes and the news and what you find on Google and that kind of thing. Um, you know, find a healthy living community of some kind, um, an integrative community. There are lots of groups out there that are doing their best to share both sides. And that's what we really want to do here. So um, thank you for joining us. If you have questions, you can on here, you can send us a message, a little voice clip, and we will do our best to try to address those as we go along in our podcast. So we really hope that you will be a part of that and uh, send us your questions and we'll see what we can get answered. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Alrighty. Have a great one.